Good morning, everyone. Please stand and join us in worship. Whether you're brand new or have been here for years and years, we're happy to have you, excited to worship with you. I'm going to sing some uh, Christmas songs today.
worshiping with us. You may have a seat. yelled so loud the lights didn't even come on out there, so I can't even see you. See, there you go. All right, good morning, everybody. Great to see you here at our main campus. Great to have you guys that are joining us online. So we're starting a new series, and the series is around Advent. Now, if you come from a church tradition, you know, you might have some experience with this. Like, if you went to a church that maybe had the Advent where you go up and you light a candle and then one of the families from the church go up and then they read something out of Scripture. You might, at your own place, have some sort of a thing that you open up for each day during the time of Advent. But the idea of or the tradition behind Advent was is that the church said, listen, we got to figure out how to get people prepared and how to get their hearts ready for Christmas or for the birth of Christ. It's just like the way it was um, when they had Lent. So the Advent and Lent are in, essentially invented by the church to say part of the problem is we're going to get real busy and then it's going to get to Easter and then you're going to forget why we even celebrated right? And then the same concept, Advent was created because there was this reality that for Christian people, they got really busy around the holidays, and then they got to Christmas time, and it was their heart wasn't prepared. And so Advent was created as preparation for you to get your heart ready for Christmas. Because we all know this, I think, is, is that this time of year is like super busy. Lots of things to get done, right? Like buying gifts and going to get-togethers with people that you might not even know, you know, going out and getting Christmas trees, decorations, putting lights up, you know, all of that stuff. And then you can get caught up in getting ready for Christmas, and then you get to the Christmas and everybody opens gifts. Or maybe you, before they open the gifts, you open up the Bible and say, we're celebrating Jesus. And then you close it and open up all the gifts and you never see it again, right? Or you're never talking about it again. So the idea of Advent or the thing that we want to help you work through is a preparation process to get your heart ready for what is to come. Now, our creative team took an opportunity to do something that we could do as a church. Um, so if you have Life Church's app, you can go on there, and if you click on the app and you go to the bottom, there's a place that's a resource tab. If you click on the resource tab, you can go on. After you go down there, there'll be a tab where you can go called Thrill of Hope. If you click on that, it'll be a 25-day devotional, if you accept the invitation, that we'll all do together as a church. So if you have the app, go on there, accept the invitation, go on the resources, accept the invite, and do this 25-day devotional with us as a church. Again, the idea behind it is that we can get to the place where we can be doing this together, right? So our heart as a church, we're focused together um, on preparing for the Christmas season and that we can do it as a church. So if you don't have the app, my recommendation is always the same thing. Get the app. If you don't know how to get the app, talk to somebody around here. They'll help you get it. Because the other thing that the app can help you do is understand what's happening, 
right? So if you want to know what's going on around Life Church, the app is a great way um, for that to be able to happen. Now, before we get into or before we jump into this idea of Advent and preparation, so if you're new, this might be a revelation for you. If you're not new, this is something that you've heard every single year when we get to the Christmas season. My love-hate relationship with Christmas, right? Like the whole idea, you know, of this, this concept of the holidays, you know, and what the holidays represent, I do have this love-hate relationship. So I'm going to try to explain it to you to a certain extent because, again, when I tell people, like, you excited about Christmas? I'm, no, I hate Christmas. And they're like, aren't you the pastor? Like, is that allowed? Like, are you allowed to hate Christmas if you're the pastor since the whole reason of Christmas is around the church, right? And so I try to explain it to them. Sometimes it doesn't go very far, but this last week, I had this revelation, like I, it's information that I never knew, and now all of a sudden I'm like, this explains me to a T, right? This explains me to a T. Anybody ever watch the, the movie The Grinch? Okay. So when I was reading and researching this week, I was, you know, again, because I get called The Grinch a lot, so like, I kind of like the movie, so I was reading about Dr. Seuss's meaning behind doing the story or writing the book about the Grinch, right? So Dr. Seuss, when he wrote the story, the Grinch was a representation of him, right? He had lost his heart for the holiday season. So it's the 26th, and he's sitting there thinking, what has happened? You know, my heart has grown kind of small. I don't really like the holiday season. And so I need to figure out how to illustrate, this was the cool part, how to illustrate what the true meaning of Christmas was, being Jesus, Right? So the whole idea of the Grinch was to help illustrate one where the problem was and then help people see through a story what the real meaning of Christmas is. Now, again, he says without, you know, just putting it out there, it was hard to, to incorporate like Jesus in it. But I think as you see what he did, you can see how it goes through the story. So do you remember when the Grinch comes down off of Mount Crumpet, right? And he comes down there and he's walking all around and he's looking at all the decorations and all the presents and all the toys and he's like this is ridiculous right like this is this is the problem well that was his view right so Dr. Seuss's view was that's the problem everybody's getting caught up in gifts and everybody's getting caught up in decorating and lights and all of the stuff that goes with that and so he decides that he's going to take away what he felt like to Whoville was the true meaning of Christmas so he goes down there, you know, with his little dog, right, and his sleigh, and he takes all of the lights and all the presents and all the stuff, and he gets all the way back up to the top of the mountain, and he looks down, and what does he see? Well, you've seen the Grinch, right? They're singing, right? Like, they're joyful. And he's sitting up there saying, what in the world? And Dr. Seuss talks about this, of how at that point, when he recognized what he was trying to get people to see is when he recognized that Whoville wasn't truly focused around just all of their stuff, he's like, oh, well, maybe, maybe Christmas can be okay. So his heart started to grow a little, right, when he saw that maybe the whole meaning of Christmas wasn't around presents, lights, food, and all of that other stuff. But he said the thing that grew his heart completely, and this is how Dr. Seuss is trying to bring Jesus into the story, 
is when he went down there, and again, he's seen it, and he wanted to go back there, but he felt bad about what he had done, right? Because he had robbed everybody of their Christmas. And so he went back there feeling that he was going to be ostracized, right? Even though he's going to try to make it up by giving back all of the gifts, he was going to feel ostracized. And Dr. Seuss, in this moment, talks about the true meaning of Christmas because his heart grew when he sat at the table with the Who's and they forgave him. And when they forgave him, his heart grew. And what Dr. Seuss said is, is that is the true meaning of Christmas, right? Forgiveness. So for all of us in this room, and, and again, for me, this love-hate relationship, you know, it's the, yeah, this idea, if it's all about lights and trees and decoration and all the stuff and we miss the true meaning of Christmas, yeah, I hate that, right? And I hate that for more than a level of just it's annoying and it costs a lot of money. So way more than that part of it. For me, it's about, listen, the idea of Jesus Christ coming into this world, right? And this is what we're going to talk about today was hope. And I just wonder, is that what we're really showing to a world? Like, are we showing to a world when we celebrate Christmas that the hope that we have is in Jesus? Because I know what you say. Like, if you ask most people that are Christians, they're like, oh, my hope is in Jesus. But yet, it looks like your hope is in a whole lot of other things other than Jesus. Right? Like, it looks like by the way that you spend your time, the way that you spend your money, the way that you interact with people. Right? Because, I mean, if you think about this, there's a lot of times when, when you're thinking about, you know, Christmas, you're like, I got to buy the right gift right? Like, I got to make sure that I get the right gift because I want my kids to be happy, right? And I'm sitting here thinking, oh, I remember when the kids were small and you bought them what you thought they wanted and they played in a box, <laughs> right? Like, I always tried to convince Sherry to let us, like, bag all their old toys and rewrap them again. Yeah. I'm like, they would have never known. There was tons of that stuff out there. Just rewrap those suckers. They would have never had any idea because then they end up just playing in the box anyway. But you know how you're like, you're really stressed out because you want to make sure that you give a gift, right, to the person, and they're going to get that. It's the gift that they really wanted, and, and, and you wait for them to open it, and then all of a sudden they're opening. Do you like it? Do you like it? Do you like it? Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Anybody? Right? Like you spent all this time thinking about that, and then the opening is almost like this letdown. Or maybe you're not the gift person. Maybe you're the, the wife that has to have the perfect get-together, right? All of the right food and the table has to be decorated a certain way and then everything has to be in a place and everything has to look in a place and, and in place and that so that when people come over, they'll be excited about it. And then people come over and you're like, nobody even said anything about the decorations. <laughs> right? Like I spent all this time getting ready and all they do is trash it. Right? Or you get get a tree up and nobody talks about the, you know what I'm saying, right? Like we get all of these things. And what I would just say is our response to how people respond back to us kind of shows where our hope was. Like our hope was the kids would love their gifts. Our hope was when a family got together, somebody would notice the things that we're doing. And I think at the end of the day, people miss the true hope of Jesus, right? And I don't want that because we're going to see this here in a little bit, that there is a true reality that there are going to be people that go through life, that are in churches, that miss the hope of a Messiah. But that's a real reality, 
right? That they're going to miss the hope of what a true Messiah is. So Advent, getting ready. So before we jump into scripture today, I want to get some ideas. So as you're getting ready for Christmas, I want to hear how you get ready. So favorite Christmas movie? Does anybody have a favorite Christmas movie they watched before? Home Alone, Elf, Christmas Story, Die Hard. See, that's the one I would have never thought. In the first service, there was like a bunch of people, yeah, Die Hard, right? I'm like, Die Hard for your Christmas movie? Yeah, I would like that way better than like the Christmas story or, you know, that kind of stuff. Huh? Do what? Which one? Oh, I thought you were going to say Die Hard. I'm like, yeah, Die Hard. <laughs> Anybody Christmas vacation people? Yes, Christmas Christmas vacation. Love love that. All right, how many people, so you have a movie that you watch every single season, you're getting ready. How many people are fake tree people? Fake tree, like you put up a fake tree. How many are the real tree people? How many are the people that don't even like trees at all? They're just a mess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're just a mess, and you have to get them out of the closet, and then you have to put them back away, and the lights never work. You buy the pre-lit thing, and guess what? It's a conspiracy. You have it for one year. The lights don't work next year. Right, then you have to go out and buy more lights, and it's like every single year, like you're buying these lights over and over again, right? Uh, so not only that, so Christmas movie, tree, how many people are done with your shopping? <laughs> we, look at that. There's three, feet, three or four people that are done with their shopping. How many haven't started their shopping? Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, so a lot of things go into prepping to get ready for Christmas. Here's my hope as we go through this today. For the next, today, for the next couple weeks as we go into Eve Eve, as we work through this Advent season, that we will prepare in a way that your heart will recognize the true meaning of Christmas and how we can, because this is what I want to say, nothing wrong with lights, nothing wrong with presents, nothing wrong with the, the stuff that goes around Christmas only when you miss the meaning, right? So I'm not against any of that other stuff. I'm just against all of that in the busyness then all of a sudden Jesus or the center of it gets taken away, right? We have to make sure our preparation, because I said this in the beginning, I said it, I'm gonna say it again, and I'm gonna say it at the end. Listen to me. Parents, your children are looking to you to see where your hope lies in this season. Because you recognize that there are certain times in the year, certain times that Jesus gives an opportunity for us to show where our hope lies. And my question to families all the time, based upon the way that you prepare for and celebrate Christmas, what would your kids say your hope, their hope is in? Or where your hope lies? Right? I wonder that as we get prepared for those things. So I just think we need to consider it, right? Like we need to consider how can we still participate in those things but still say that Jesus is at the center. All right, so if you have a Bible, turn to Isaiah. This is going to be Isaiah 7, 10 through 14. So Isaiah is a prophet, and I want to tell you a little bit about prophecy, right? So inside of the Bible, prophecy was, was huge in the Old Testament for this reason. So do you remember in the beginning when Adam and Eve were in the garden, the thing that was broken was relationship with God because they sinned? 
right? So they couldn't have this ongoing conversation with God. So it was broken. So what God tried to restore throughout all the Old Testament and New Testament was relationship, right? So that they could have relationship and they could talk back and forth. Well, back in the Old Testament, God would speak through prophets. He wouldn't directly speak to people, right? So he would say, hey, I have something to tell you. Some was for prophecy that they would see, right? So like you're the king because you made this decision, you're going to see this happen in your lifetime. Right, So that was some of the prophecy. This is what God said. This is what you're going to see, and you're going to see it played out in your lifetime. Other prophecy was, I'm going to tell you about a prophecy for future hope. Right, It's to give you future hope. You might never see it, but it's for you to have future hope for what is to come. So what we're going to focus on is Isaiah the prophet talking about future hope. Right, Because in this, we see this happening in the Old Testament, and we, we recognize this, is that there were a lot of people that when they talked about future hope, missed it, right? Like they didn't understand it, or they didn't get it right, and so they missed it. So when we talk about it, we're going to look at it in a way to understand what future hope would have meant to those people then. What should future hope mean to us today, right? What does it mean to have our hope in the right place? So Isaiah 7, starting in verse 10. It says, again, and just in this same situation, so King Ahaz had uh, been surrounded by people. They want to destroy, you know, Judah or his city. He's worried about it. He doesn't know what to do. So again, uh, Isaiah the prophet says to him, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, as the Lord your God for a, uh, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether it's the deepest depth, depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, right, he says to them, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will call him Emmanuel. So this is the prophecy that he was getting him, giving him, and he was saying, I'm not going to fix your problem today, right? The, the, the nation of Judah is going to be destroyed. Like, there's going to be things happening, but it's not going to be forever destruction, right? So the idea of the prophecy was there's not going to be forever destruction. Like, you're going to see some things in front of you that you're going to feel like it, the, the hope is gone, but what he's showing you is that there is going to be hope for the future. You might never see it. And he's going to say, and he's saying to them, here's how people will know, right? Here's going to be your sign. A virgin will conceive a sign or conceive a son. Pretty big sign, right? I mean, impossible for a virgin to conceive a son. So if somebody tells you, hey, guess what? There's this girl who, can, who says she's a virgin and she's pregnant you might want to look up and say, oh, wow. I mean, this is what he said, right? This is what he talked about. Then he says what he's going to fix is what was broken from the beginning. This is important, right? What he says to them is, is that I'm going to fix what was broken, which is now you will have Emmanuel, God, with you. You will now be able to have God with you all of the time right? Now you have the opportunity to be in relationship with God. So when Jesus comes back and he is born at this time, the celebration is now all of a sudden what was separate before will now be together in relationship. 
Now you can have Emmanuel. Now you can have God with you. Now, important because the people that were there then were looking at this and they're saying, yes, there's a future hope, but what about today, right? The same way all of us would be, right? Well, what about today? And what he's trying to teach us, and we'll see this here in a little bit, is, is that although you might not see, right, that the hope of your situation changed, there is hope in a changed situation in eternity. Does that make sense? So when you're looking at this prophecy or what the Messiah means, the thing we need to recognize is situationally, your circumstance might not change, right? Situationally, things might not be different. But for eternity, things can be different because of the coming Messiah, right? And because the Messiah actually came. Then he goes on, again, if you fast forward a little bit, Isaiah 9. So if you just go from 7 to 9, he again talks to them about the idea of this future hope, right? Because again, the nation of Israel thinks that things are always going to be bad. And here's what he says to them in Isaiah 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. So he's pointing to this future, right? Because we already know this, right? For If you live in the world today, distress and gloom's never going to go completely away, right? Like you're going to live in a world where all of that's, so he's pointing to a prophecy to help us understand what that means. He says, in the past, they were humbled in the land of, I couldn't say it in the first service, I'm not going to try to say it again, in the land of Nephitali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, and this is what you're going to see. So he's giving them a picture of the Messiah is coming, but at the end of the day, I want to tell you what you're going to see when the Messiah is now living on the earth. People walking in darkness will have seen a great light. Here's what you're going to see. People who've walked their entire life in darkness all of a sudden are going to walk in light. Right? That's Jesus. The idea that people could grow up in complete darkness and not know what a Messiah is, all of a sudden are going to see the light. That's the promise of a Messiah. Right? It's the hope that we can have, that no matter what somebody's past is or how dark it is, they can find Jesus. That's what the Messiah does. That's the future that you have to look, into, look for. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. It says Jesus will go to the ends of the earth to show his light to people. Right? So in these lands of darkness where nobody thought anybody could be reached, he's saying, I'm going to go into those lands and I'm going to use you and you're going to be light in the world right? and light into those dark places. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders and the rod of their oppressors. So he talks about like he's going to break this yoke. And this wasn't a yoke of them working. This was the yoke of sin. Right? And the promise that you can have for the coming Messiah, here's what you need to see. You're going to live in a world that's going to want to yoke you with sin, meaning that they're going to be an accuser of you. They're going to look at what you've done, look at what you've done, and, and you're going to try to walk the rest of your life with, I want to be a better person, I want to be a better person, I want to try to do better. You know, you're going to be carrying around what you were never meant to carry. Right? Carrying around this yoke to try to live up to all of the law. Right, that's what people do. So they read the Bible and they're like, well, the Bible tells me to do and you carry around this yoke and I'm never good enough. And so he's saying, I'm coming to break the yoke, right? You are right when you're never good enough. 
You are right that you are a sinner falling short of the glory of God, but you were never meant to carry the yoke. Jesus is going to carry that for you. The coming Messiah is going to break you free from the yoke of sin, right? That's what he's saying for each one of us. So we can celebrate in the hope that when we live in this world, we're sinners falling short of the glory of God, but we don't have to carry the yoke of sin any longer, right? We don't have to have those things in our life. Then he goes on and he says, and every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined, uh, will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For us, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So he gives this future, like he's coming. This is what you're gonna get. A child is gonna be born and he's gonna fulfill all of these roles. He's going to be, you know, uh, the son given. The government's gonna be on his shoulders. He's gonna be a wonderful counselor. He's gonna be a mighty God, an everlasting father, prince of peace. Now, here's what I want you to think about. You with me? So if you were a Jew, so it's a little bit different than today. So there's a lot of people that don't read their Bible today. And so when somebody says something like, wow, I never knew it said that. True? Right? Like a lot of people will be like, I never knew that was in the Bible. And I'm like, do you read the Bible? No, not really. Right? I just wait for somebody else to tell me what it says. So back then, if you were a Jew, either you did read it or your parents read it to you right? So if you were in a family, you would be sitting around and your family member, your father, because again, it's the father's responsibility to pass on faith to his children. So he would sit down with him and he said, let me tell you about, because here's when he would sit down and talk to him, when things aren't going that good, right? Hey, we need to have a come to Jesus meeting, right? We need to get together because our walls are surrounded. Things look like they're not going to go that well. So the dad would get together and say, I know things around you don't look very good, but let me tell you the prophecy of the coming Messiah. You might die in this city, but not forever because there is a king, because there is a Messiah, because of all those things, right? He would sit down and he would say, so there was no excuse, right? The people and the Jews knew the 400 prophecies of what a coming Messiah would look like, but they missed him, right? 400 would have been repeated to them over and over again. This is a sign. This is what you're going to say. How do you miss it? Like, how do you miss all of these prophecies and all of these things that go together? You know how they missed it? Because you know this, right? You hear what you want to hear. Right? Like you, you hear what you want to hear. And usually you hear what you've conceived to be what your greatest need is. So, right? so when you're in a conversation and you're listening about something, you're listening to see if your greatest need could be met. So here's a Messiah, right? So they're reading these same things that you just read, right? And we're thinking, how do they miss it? You know how they miss it? You know what they wanted? They molded a Messiah and that when they read this, you know what their greatest need was? To get out from the impression of Rome. You know what their greatest need was? To deliver Jerusalem to freedom. You know what their greatest thing was? Is let us be prominent in culture again. So you know what they heard? The king that was coming was the one who was going to deliver us from oppression. Because you know what they didn't realize? 
You know what their greatest need was? What they should have been listening for? You're a sinner going to hell. And so when you would have listened with that heart and mind, like I'm a sinner falling short of the glory of God, then when you hear this prophecy, you're like, I need a savior. I can't fix myself. But you know what's funny? It's really no different than us today. Right? Like, when you come and you listen to a message at church, a lot of times people listen to try to find the Messiah they came looking for. Does that make sense, right? Like, my marriage was broke, my finances were broke, my business is broke, my relationships are bad, whatever those things are. And so then you come to a church listening for the Messiah that's going to fix your marriage, the Messiah that's going to fix your relationship, the Messiah that's going to do. And again, you're looking for that Messiah. And the problem is when things don't get fixed, you, like them, miss the Messiah. So I want you to hear this, okay? Don't miss this. There are going to be people, we know this because of Scripture, We know that there are going to be people that grow up in the church. Like, I've heard this all the time. I grew up in a church, and I was always in the church, and I just have always known God. You know, there are going to be people that have grown up in the church, been in church their whole life, that have formulated a model of a Messiah that fits their cultural norm, the things that they want, and what they want to have. And one day, when their life is over, and they stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ, he will look at them and say, I don't know you. That's a reality. Because you don't come looking for what your greatest problem is. You know what your greatest problem is? It's not your marriage. You know what your greatest problem is? It's not your kids. You know what your greatest problem is? It's not your money. You know what your greatest problem is? Your sin that's separating you from God. So you know what you need more than anything? It's not your marriage fixed. Not your money fixed, not your business fixed. You know what you need fixed is what's broken, and that's a relationship, and you need Jesus. And so you're going to come to church looking for a Savior. But because we've kind of modeled our own what we're going to find hope in, you could live your entire life having hope for a Messiah that you've made up and miss the true hope of Jesus Christ in your life. And unfortunately, I think that that's really true inside of the church today. Like I've always said, like I don't know why it's so hard for people to admit that they're a sinner. Like why is that so hard? Like why is it so hard to admit or confess your sin to somebody else and say, dude, I know I'm with you, I've screwed up, or let me tell you about where I have been sinning. Let me tell you about that. Why is that so hard? Because you know what it makes you recognize and hopefully it should make the other person recognize? You're both terrible and you both need a Messiah. When you don't confess your sin, you know why you don't? Because you want to hide it somehow and you think you can take care of it. And honestly, if you're not going to confess it to somebody else, do you really need a Messiah? Think about it. If you're unwilling to just admit, like, I want to tell you, like, this is where I've sinned, this is where I've fallen short, that makes you recognize, and you know what? Sometimes you're robbing from that other person that you're telling it to, is the ability for them to see a Messiah that might not fix your life, but will fix your heart. Instead of painting this picture of a Messiah to a world that it's only supposed to fix the things that you want fixed, 
the one that you put together in your model and the way that you wanted to do it. So what we've got to get back to, what we've got to try to figure out, right, is the ability to be able to believe in the Messiah that Scripture tells us, the Messiah that gives us hope for eternity, hope in a relationship, not fixing everything that you want fixed, right? We have got to be able to figure that out. Now, here's the thing. Here's what's great about God is God allows us at times in our lives or even brings this to us. Interruptions of life are a gift from God. Listen to me. See, you look at interruptions of life and you're like, God, what are you doing? You know what he's trying to do? Because you know what happens when you're interrupted? You know what you find out sometimes? You have misplaced hope. Anybody ever been there? Right, like you had this hope in this thing and then all of a sudden that thing got broke and you're like, what in the world is going on? Where's God? And the idea is, this is what he wants you to see, on this side of eternity, right, so on this side of eternity, he wants you to recognize misplaced hope before it's too late. Are you tracking? Because what it reveals is, if you got misplaced hope, you know how I was saying before, like if you have misplaced hope, don't, don't miss this. When you stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ, misplaced hope doesn't give you a do-over. You're going to spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That's what misplaced hope does. Don't, don't try to sugarcoat that. So you know what he does? He's like, I'm going to go ahead and interrupt your life. Because you know what I care about more than your happiness in your life? Is your hope in the thing that it should have been through from the beginning. So let me wake you up and help you see where your hope really lies. And if it's wrong, you get a chance to change it. Isn't that great? It's so good that when we can recognize misplaced hope, we can say, all right, we got to do something different. i got to get it back in the right place. And just remember this. This is an ongoing thing with the way that God works with his people. God has no problem interrupting your life. Ever. He's not going to have a problem putting the pause button on and reevaluating, looking into your heart to see where you've misplaced that hope. That's not a problem, right? It's kind of the same thing. You know, in 2020, I said one of the greatest gifts that the world got was COVID, right? Because COVID was not just an interruption of your life. It was an interruption of the world. And for many people through COVID and maybe to this day, are still figuring out that they had misplaced hope. Isn't that crazy? Right? They're still figuring out. That time woke them up to something that they couldn't have been woke up to until COVID happened. In fact, I said this before. You know, if you talk to people who are in the church world, this is what's crazy. If you talk to people in the church world, churches are still suffering from COVID, meaning people aren't coming back. And you know what they'll say? Well, the problem was people fell out of a routine. They're just not in a routine anymore. And we just got to bring them back in the routine. I'm like, bull crap. If you're coming to church out of routine, then you've missed it anyway. You need to come to church to find Jesus, not to be in a routine. You should want to come and want to gather because you want to see Jesus, not to check it off the box and say, I made every Sunday for the last couple months. Right? That doesn't mean anything. Jesus Christ 
finding Jesus. And again, it's not that we can't see Jesus outside. We've talked about this before. But there's something about the gathering of God's people, being around God's people, that gives you the opportunity to show the hope of a Savior to a person who is looking. Right? That's our job. That's our responsibility. Those are the things that we should do. Right? So we have got to be okay with interruptions. We've got to be okay with resetting. Maybe we did have misplaced hope. It's okay. Just don't do this. It's been my fear forever. Don't be deceived by placing your hope in something that someday is going to let you down. And don't, more than anything, listen to me, and don't teach your children to do it too. And when I say teach it, I'm talking about the way that you model your life shows where your hope really is. Christmas is a time where they and the rest of the world are looking. Right? They're looking. They want to know. They want to see what that looks like. Now, here's the deal. This was, again, hope that came from the Old Testament future that we've been able to see. Right? So the worship team is going to come back up. I want to talk to, you about, talk to you about a prophecy that has yet to be fulfilled, right? So in Scripture, we have the prophecies that, that Jesus gave that he then fulfilled when he came to the earth, right? So that's what we talk about, the prophecy of hope, the Messiah that's given. But at the same time, he had to deal with the same issue, right? People are troubled because they had misplaced hope. Right? So do you remember the disciples? So the disciples were the people that followed Jesus around, and then Jesus said, I'm going to be gone. And then all the disciples were like, oh, no, you're going to be gone. What are we going to do? You know what the problem was? Misplaced hope. You realize that, right? The reason that they were troubled is because they didn't get it, that they would be better that he was gone than it was that they was in front of him. Right? They missed that concept of what it was. So here's what he says to them. John 14. One through four. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place and where I am going. You see, here's the future prophecy. If you didn't know this, Jesus Christ is coming back. He's coming back. He's either coming to rapture the church or he's coming to take you home. Right? That's what's happening. Now listen to me. Here's what I want you to see. That is a promise that is coming true every single day that Jesus Christ is meeting people at the last day of their life. But here's the problem for some. They have not believed that prophecy to be true and they've lived as if it doesn't, isn't relevant in the life today. And here's what I want you to see from what I said from the beginning. When Jesus Christ comes back, whether he raptures the church or he's taking you home, you don't get a chance to change things then. You don't get a chance to stand in front of him and say, well, can you give me a couple weeks while I get this right? I know I had misplaced hope while I was on this earth. I know that I did it the wrong way, but now I really realize that I did it the wrong way. Can you give me a couple weeks to get it right? You don't get that chance. 
When Jesus comes back, it's over. Now, here's the thing that I've tried. It's not always been perfect, but I've tried to live by this for a really long time. I live as if this is my last day. So one of the things inside of our family from way back, because we've lost a lot of people in our life at an age where we thought it was too early, you know, and regardless of what's going on inside of the family dynamic, you know, because sometimes you get along, sometimes you don't get along. Anybody have that family dynamic? Right? Every once in a while, things might not be the way they should, but when somebody leaves, you walk up there and you give them a hug and you say, I love you. Why? You're not guaranteed tomorrow. And if the last thing that person hears from me needs to be, I love you, right? You need to hear that. Don't let these other things inside of the world, you know, show that. Because what we're trying to do, again, right, we're trying to do what Jesus has done for each one of us. He wants us to recognize our days are numbered. Make these things right. It's the same thing I said to Sarah. So when I leave, I'll say, hey, Give me a kiss. You might never see me again. Make sure you know I love you. Because I believe that. I believe that you're not guaranteed the next day, right? And I don't want anything to ever be misguided of, of what things were like. I want it to be, this is what I want you to know. I want to live as if there is no tomorrow, right? Now, I want you to think about this. So when you enter into the Christmas season and the Advent season, where is your hope? Because what if this is your last Christmas? What, is this, what if this is your last Christmas with your loved ones? What if it's your last opportunity to use the Christmas season to give hope into a dark world? What if this is it? What's the world seeing in you? Are seeing the hope of Jesus? Are seeing the hope of salvation? Or are they seeing the hope in the things that you can buy and the things that you can do and the way that you can decorate? What are they seeing? Because remember, parents and everybody in this room, parents especially, your kids are watching. You have a chance to give them something, a gift that will never go away, Right? You have a gift that you can give to this world that will never go away, and that's my hope for you. So if you're here today, listen to me. If you're here today and your hope has been misplaced, make a decision to place your hope in the only thing that matters, Jesus Christ. Don't wait. Don't wait. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You might not get another chance. If you have seen today that God has revealed to you, my hope is misplaced, then you get an opportunity. See, this is why they tell you, you know how people say, like, this is the first thing you need to do. You need to confess your sins. You know why you need to confess your sin? Because it makes you the reality. You need a savior, just like us, right? And when you confess sin, it's not to degrade anybody. It's just to say, I need a savior, and so if you're here today, confess with your heart, I am a sinner and I need a savior. And the greatest gift of hope that you can give today is a relationship with you, Jesus, and that's what I want. It doesn't have to be a special prayer. It doesn't have to be a special thing, but I'm hoping today that you'll make that decision. Don't wait. 
For everybody else that has made that decision, I hope that through this Christmas season, there will be no doubt to your children and the people around you where your hope lies. That's my hope. And that's my prayer. Will you stand so I can pray for you? Heavenly Father, I just want you to know that as we come to you today, um, we recognize that in this Christmas season that we need to be intentional about remembering where our hope lies. Lord, I pray that through the representation of how we spend our time, how we spend our money, the things that come out of our mouth, that we will show the hope is in you. Lord, I pray for those today who have made that decision, like they've had misplaced hope for a lot of their life, but today they made a decision to put it in you. Lord, I pray that they will be surrounded by people that will lift them up, that will help them along in their journey. Lord, I pray today that we may be a church and a people that through this season will show the hope of salvation and the hope of a Savior and a Messiah that the world can see. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.
So I hope as a church that we'll take the opportunity through this season to truly take a moment to evaluate where is my hope and where does my hope lie and how is it in the way that I'm living my life or the way that I'm celebrating the season that I'm showing hope into a world, right, that's desperately in need. And I just believe that, that God will give us the wisdom through the Holy Spirit to help us live that way, to do the things that he's called us to do. So don't forget, go on our app, follow along with us 25 days during this Advent season. We as a church can focus on God changing things, bringing hope into this world. Again, thanks for being here, main campus. Thanks for uh, joining us online. We'll see you guys next week.